Well, I hope that the message tonight will, will be a help to all of us. And, you know, as I was working through this message, I think, man, <laughs> um, you know, for, for preachers, you know, they get up here and, they, of course, they study the message. And there's a difference between studying and, and, and uh, practicing it all the time. Obviously, none of us have arrived. And, um, and so I look at this message and I think, Lord, I fail in many ways in proving the love of God to this world. And I, I hope and pray that all of us would, um, would take more of an effort um, and look in our own selves, introspect our own selves and see where we might be in this aspect of, of loving one another. So let's turn in our Bibles, please, to 1 John chapter number 4, if you stand. 1 John chapter number 4. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 7. Verse number 7, again, 1 John chapter number 4. It says this, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our Sins. That is him proving his love like nothing else. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit and we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is so are we in this world there is no fear in love but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment he that feareth is not made perfect in love. Father, we ask that you would bless this message this evening. I pray that you might help and give guidance and grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Pretty astounding verses, uh, verses 17 and 18, talk about how that, that perfect love gives us boldness in the day of judgment, and that also there's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out Fear. And I was thinking about that particular verse of Scripture and, and uh, what causes a person to be heroic or brave. Um, you know, if you've spent any time uh, 
looking at the news, reading, reading articles in regards to the, the war there in, in, in Ukraine, um, early on in the war, we heard about some heroic acts uh, some, uh, by some of the Ukrainians. And one story was a soldier who sacrificed his own uh, life by blowing up a strategic bridge near the border of Crimea to hinder the enemy from crossing with their tanks. And then there was the, the reports of men in their 80s taking up arms to fight the invaders. And then there was the story of, of a brave civilian trying to block an entire Russian convoy uh, by using his own body to impede the flow of armored vehicles from getting to their destination. And then, and then another civilian who removed uh, Russian landmines with his own bare hands. And then there, even in the midst of, of hearing some of these tragic events, there was a, a heart uh, uh, lighthearted story of a farmer who stole a Russian armored vehicle or a tank to sell it for scrap metal. <laughs> I like that eco-friendly farmer. Yeah. <laughs> Why are these people doing these heroic acts? The reason for most of them is it's based in love. You see, human love has been shown to be a a huge motivational force in the life of an, of an individual to move forward in the face of fear or opposition. But John tells us of another love, a divine love, the love that we just read about, a love that is like none other. It is God's love that dwells in us as believers and compels us to love others beyond our ability with no bias and even love those who have harmed us. This love is to be expressed in our daily interactions with people. His love coming out of our life, basically. But John explains that when we are focused on how much God loves us and approves of us, and I love God and, and my fellow man, he says there, as we read, that there is no room for fear. Again, verse number 18 states, there is no fear in love, perfect love casteth out fear. Now that's an incredible statement because across all walks of life, including born again Christians, fear has managed to put a stranglehold on individuals, robbing them of product, productivity in their life, maybe a meaningful life and even a joyful and happy life. It really is amazing in how this perfected love can eradicate the fear of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. This powerful divine love that God gives us enables us, it gives us the ability to love others efficiently and thus will give us boldness in the day of judgment. Now, I think all of us would agree we want to be able to stand at that day of judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, and to be in that frame of mind or heart to be bold in that place. Yes, on that day at the judgment seat of Christ, we will be judged in how we lived. But let me just say this. It really, we must think about this, really. It, it, it's more of how that we loved, not necessarily how we lived because how we love will dictate how we live our life. 
Um, there's a couple of verses that go along with that idea. There in Romans chapter three, 13, verse number 10 says this, For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. And Galatians chapter 5, verse number 14 says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So I believe that we're going to be judged by how we loved, and yes, by how we live, but again, how we, how we live is, is, is going to be dictated by how that we love and how that God is going to reward us. So again, how we love is how we'll, we will be judged. So what John tells us in our next text here is such a blessing that if we are living our life in the love of God, we are assured that we can stand before the Lord in boldness and in confidence. Now, John also said earlier in the letter in 1 John chapter 2, And now, little children, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his appearing. So this day of judgment for the Christian is going to be a day of either immense rejoicing or immense regret. And according to John, the choice is ours to make. Now, how can we be assured that we can stand before the Lord in boldness? Well, it really begins in verse number 12. Now, at first glance, uh, we look at this verse and it might seem out of place or out of context. John has been discussing God's love for us and our love for one another. Then, then, nowhere, then out of nowhere, he makes this statement in verse number 12. No man hath seen God at any time. You could actually probably take out that verse and it would all make sense. But you might ask, why did he make this statement? What does God being invisible have to do with the topic of love? Well, the same phrase of words occur in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse number 18, where he says this, No man hath seen God at any time. Then he goes on to write, The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him or made him known. So Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, who was sent to the earth, displayed or made known in the most perfect way the love of the Father to be known to all around. Now, let me say this. To be able to do this thing is, was no small feat. And it began by God becoming a man. I'm sure um, if we all really fully comprehended this magnitude of what the Almighty God did, I, it would truly humble us. But I think sometimes we just sort of gloss over it. Sometimes we don't really pay attention and see what it was all about. But you think about this again, the Almighty God who humbled himself and became a man. He forever took on the role of man, never able to reverse that action. He became poor that we might be made rich. He suffered temptation. He suffered pain. He suffered the abuse at the hands of his, his creation. He suffered a rejection of man while the seraphims praised him continually. 
He willfully put himself in our place to suffer shame as he hung on that cross. He suffered by carrying the awfulness of our sin because he loved us. And he forever joined our humanity to his divinity and for all eternity will be fully God and fully man. When you see Jesus in scripture, you see the father, his compassion, his pity, his love, the encouragement, the concern for others. This was God being displayed through his son, Jesus Christ. Well, here in this epistle, John is saying that we declare the father to the world. It says, if we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. What John is saying is that the unseen God, the invisible God, the, the same God who was declared to us in the person of Jesus Christ is to be seen in his children when we love one another. That the body of Christ displays to the world around us the love of God who cannot be seen. And this is an amazing thing. You see, people who won't see God can experience God by how we love them. And that's what this particular statement, what John is meaning. This divine love is really the only link to know that something is different about us, especially if they see us love when they expect maybe retaliation when we are wronged. When they see us love, they see God abiding in us. But on the other hand, if they see anger and bitterness and verbal attacks and even hatred and gossip, then we are failing to do what John is saying in verse number 14, where he states that we're to testify that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. So when we are angry people rather than loving and happy people, the message is marred. So God gives us an assignment in verse number 11. What's that assignment? Beloved, if God so loved us, we also, we ought also to love one another. Now, let me say, before we can actually love people effectively, we should have the confidence that God loves us. And that's what he's saying here. Beloved, if God so loved us, I think that John is wanting us to, to relish in that particular truth. And until we understand that particular truth, we cannot effectively love others. And we need to be confident about that. There isn't anything that you can do that could cause God to love you less or love you more. God loves you as much as he loves his son. God has not one time withheld his love from you. And you need to be totally convinced of this truth. Now, many Christians may struggle in this area because they say that they just don't feel worthy or deserved of his love. And let me say that's true. We aren't worthy and we don't deserve it. But that's why there is grace. Grace, God's grace is that enormous welcome sign that's placed over God's door of acceptance and forgiveness and everlasting love. And what we need to do is walk in and never leave. We need to understand, again, the love that God has for us. Now, God cannot keep from loving you 
and pursuing you. And so because of that, we should accept that love. Don't be prideful or self-righteous by rejecting his love. Be humble and accept God's unconditional love for you and welcoming that into your life. As someone said, before you even knew anything about God, he loved you. Before you even knew you needed God, he already planned for Jesus to die for you. Before you ever knew the name of Jesus, Jesus loved you so much, he preferred you over his own life. And even when you were rejecting Christ in your heart and in your actions, God still loves you. You can't stop God from loving you. But let me say this, you can reject the truth and the peace that comes with it. You know, I have noticed that some people may have trouble accepting God's unconditional love for them. And they have this dilemma about this, of accepting God's unconditional love for them. And, and they have, what they do is they transfer that into their relationships with people and they can't accept the, the, the love of others. When people try to reach out to you, to love you, to help you, don't push them away. Don't push them away. Uh, don't do that. You need to accept the love that somebody wants to show to you and, and accept that. So as our text reads, if God has, has so loved you, you then ought to love one another. We should share with others what God has given us. And the goal of having been given his love is to compel us to share God's love with our fellow man, to touch them with his love. And this is a huge task given to us. This is our assignment. We need to see to it that people experience and feel God's love through us. Now, can we be misunderstood and, and maybe our motives misjudged? Sure. You know, they may wonder, why are they being so nice to me? Why are, why, you know, what, what do they want? That's their problem. You still just love anyway. You're to love and to care for others anyway. Smile anyway. Be friendly anyway. Be kind anyway. One reason people may struggle to love others is because they maybe have been hurt by others. Because maybe they've been mistreated or judged or criticized or demeaned or, or, or shunned and maybe beat up emotionally because maybe they have just uh, been treated in this way. They have just shut down and they've closed up their heart. But my friend, we cannot allow those hurtful episodes hinder us from loving others. Don't let the devil win. You cannot let the devil win. Jesus didn't stop loving people when, when people were cruel to him. Jesus didn't stop loving people when they lied about him or rejected him. He still kept loving others. When we see the term perfected love in our text, as someone said, it does not mean flawless. But it refers to God's love coming to a completion or coming to an expression as we love each other with God's love. Perfected love is when you don't just talk about uh, the need to share Christ, you do it. It's when you don't just talk about the hungry, you feed them. It's, it's when you don't sit around maybe and gossip about somebody, you pray for them. It's when you don't just talk about a struggling new believer, you disciple them. This is the kind of love that is going to make a huge difference 
and impact the life of another individual. In Jude, it states here, and one and of some have compassion making a difference. And I tell you, compassion does make a difference. Showing compassion is going to, to make a difference in the life of an individual. Several years ago, Warren Wiersbe told a story about a, a female Salvation Army worker who found a derelict woman uh, alone on, uh, on the street, and she invited her to come into the chapel for help. But the woman refused to move. The worker assured her, we, we love you, we want to help you, God loves you, Jesus died for you. But the woman did not budge. And, and as if on divine impulse, the worker leaned over and kissed the woman on the cheek, taking her into her arms and hugging her. And the woman began to sob. And like a child was led into the chapel, where she ultimately trusted Christ as her savior. Now the woman said later, she said, you told me that God loved me, but it wasn't till you showed me that God loved me that I wanted to be saved. You see, to experience the genuine love of God through one of God's children is a huge thing. You know, Jesus didn't simply preach the love of God. He proved it by his daily interaction with people and by ultimately giving his life for us. God expects us, his followers, to do the same. I really like our church theme uh, that we have this year uh, being promoted, Love God's Way. But, but did you know, and I'm sure you might, may know this, that Satan also has a theme that he seeks to actively promote in the lives of Christians. And instead of loving God's way, which Satan knows is a powerful force in the church, he will try to get Christians to hate Satan's way. He knows that if he can get people to be weak in love, he can weaken and destroy a church body. To make the church body ineffective uh, and, and causing that church to not be able to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, what, what does hate Satan's way look like? Well, one way is gossip. Gossip isn't loving God's way. Gossip is defined as thoughtless and reckless talk about someone or something that may be true or untrue. Gossip and rumors can be about the personal affairs of someone and are spread among the group of people, thus hurting the reputation. James chapter 4 says this, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy who are you that judgest another? That Greek word in it, uh, speak evil is said by William Barclay is the sin of those who meet in, in a corner and gather in little groups and pass on confidential information, which destroys the good name of those who are not there to defend themselves. If wrong has been done, taken place, God's going to take care of that. 
don't be the judge. And if you are the victim of someone's gossip chain, don't worry and fret, which is easy to do, but give it to God. He will take care of it in his time. Just love those people anyway. Another hate Satan's ways by responding to someone in selfishly, in selfish anger, jealousy, envy, impatience. This obviously is not loving God's way. And the devil loves to stir up trouble among God's people. When things were going well in the early days of the church, we find that Satan came in and he began to disrupt and bring division and to grieve the Holy Spirit to keep things from functioning the way it should have been functioning. When we allow these emotions to dominate, we're falling into Satan's trap. It helps us to remember that there are no perfect people, including you and me. There are no perfect bosses. There are no perfect spouses. There are no perfect neighbors, no perfect family members. Because of that, God has given us the ability to forgive, to make up for those imperfections. First, first Peter chapter four, verse number eight says, and above all these things, fervent, above having fervent charity among yourselves for charity shall cover the multitude of sin. You are never more like God when you love even your enemies. There was a, a couple who went to their pastor to inform him, and this is a true story, uh, inform him that they were going to get a divorce. Asked why, the husband said to the pastor, well, I just don't love her anymore. Then the pastor began to explain to him that it was only right to love his wife and that love isn't a feeling, but it's a choice. You choose to love. The husband said, I, I can't love that way. Well, the Bible says that you're to, you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Can you do that? No, that's too high of a standard. I can't do that. Then he said this, the pastor said, okay, then the Bible says that you are to love your enemy. Begin there. He had no way out. We're to love. Another hate Satan's way is arguing your opinion. We all have opinions. And I tell you, if you get on social media platform, you will see that everyone has an opinion. They can get pretty crazy. One time my wife looked up some information on the best way to brew coffee. How, or I'm sorry, tea, that is, to brew tea. How controversial can tea be? <laughs> she said that two women from England, of all places, on the web, were on this website and in the comments section, they really got ugly with each other, arguing the proper way to brew tea. They both had an opinion. Sometimes we humans, sometimes we, we have an opinion about everything, even if we don't know everything about anything. And sometimes our opinions are, aren't obviously loving. Why can't each person just brew their tea the way they like it? But there are so many things that we want to be dogmatic about having a dogmatic opinion about this or about that. And we'll argue and we'll get mad and over things that really don't matter. 
you brew your tea the way you want to and let others brew the tea the, the way they want to and just love, love them anyway, even if they brew their tea different <laughs> or wrong. What, how are you? Look at that. But friend, it's, it's really up, up to us to stir up the love and to, make, to, to, to love our family and to love our friends and even love our enemies and letting them know that they are secure in our love and that they're accepted and that we'll do our very best for them and help where we are able. You see, saying, I love you, is one thing. Showing love is another. You know, words are cheap when not backed up with action. Jesus said this. He said, if you love me, what did he say? Keep my commandments. Prove it. Prove that you love me. Am I going to be there for others when they need me? You see, true love will come alongside and will even get down low with someone who is in need and of, of being consoled or encouraged. Some uh, years ago, when my wife worked at a daycare center, she had a, an incident in class one day that made her think, wow, now that's love. There were a set of twins, boys, around three years of age in her class. And on one particular day, something happened to one of the little boys that made him sad. And he didn't really throw a fit, but he laid down on the ground with his face buried again in the ground and began to cry, a pitiful cry. My wife, not wanting him to feel bad, said to him gently, get up and stop crying. <laughs> she said that much nicer than I just did. The little boy's twin brother watched him for a few minutes. And without saying a word, he got down next to his little brother and laid down prostate just like his little brother was. Didn't say a word. And just wrapped his arm around him. And about a minute or so later, the little boy that was crying stopped crying and he got up. And he just started playing again. That little brother that came to console his brother didn't look down on him or judge him or make fun of him or criticize him. He got down right down where he was and encouraged him in his own little way. Showing him love. Showing him compassion. In his time of need. <laughs> this is what we're to do. What a beautiful picture that that illustrates. And this is what we're to do. This kind of love can only come from a heart that really is surrendered to God. God has redeemed us. Those who are saved, he's redeemed you. His spirit, as the scripture tells us here, his Holy Spirit dwells within us. He's given to us in verse 13. 
And as we yield and surrender to God, God is going to develop you and grow you and you loving others. God is going to teach you how to love. And the way many times he does this is he allows your path to cross the path of another who needs God's love. You know, we all have our circles of influence, our circles of friend, our circles of impact. But when God allows your path to cross the path of another who isn't in your circle, could it be that maybe God is wanting you to reach out to that individual and to touch them and, and share with them the love of God? I don't believe it's by accident or coincidence, that, but God many times allows our intersections to cross, our lives to cross, that we might be able to touch others. You know, in our natural state, we are so easily filled with selfishness. We must willfully surrender everything in us to God and let God fill us with his spirit. This will only happen as we fellowship with him, as we stay connected to him, as we walk with him. Actually, five times here in this passage that we read, the word dwell or dwelleth, which means to abide, is found in this passage. And it refers to our personal walk with God. And we've got to make that a priority. If we're going to truly exemplify the love of God, as John is stating here, in reaching out and, and bringing to others, the, the world, the lost world, God. And it's by love. I've got to be walking with God. I've got to make certain that I'm fellowshipping with God. I've got to make certain that I'm in a, in a right place where God is, is, is using me and filling me. Because in and of ourselves, we can't do it. We cannot do it. So our walk with God needs to be fresh. My friend, we, we really have no excuse not to love as God loves us. Uh, he has given us the resource of himself. I mean, his Holy Spirit to love through us. And all that God expects is for us to be a vessel, to be a channel of his love to those in, a, in this loveless world. And, and will we make a difference? Will we make a difference in that person's life? Will we be that channel of, of his love to that individual and care for that individual? As a matter of fact, if we're faithful, and as we made mention, if we're faithful in this love, Herein, as verse 17 states, herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. So that day that we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, that judgment seat, we can stand in boldness. But it will all depend on whether or not we walked in the love of God during this time on earth. Will we be faithful? Will we do our part? Will we walk in the love of God? It's our choice. It's, it's the choice that we've got to make. 
So will we love God's way? It's your choice. Will you? As we stand and bow our heads this evening, every head bow, every eye closed. This would seem a pretty momentous task that God has placed before us. But it's something that, that he's equipped us to be able to do. And God wants us to be faithful in this. Again, he wants us to be able to display to this world who God is by the way that we love others. So will we be faithful to do just that? Father, we ask that you would bless this invitation. I pray that, Father, that you would help us to see in our life areas where maybe we have failed to not love as you have commanded us to, where maybe we've been judgmental or maybe we have uh, not given an opportunity uh, to just be a help and a blessing to others that may have crossed our paths. I pray that you would help us, Father, to do your bidding as your servants. Father, would you bless this invitation? I pray that if there's anyone here that is unsaved, they've never been born again, they've never have accepted Christ as their own Savior, I pray that today that they would know Christ, come to know Christ. So work in their heart, we pray this in Jesus' name.